Welcome to episode 15 of Owen the Saints. I'm your host, Patrick Serlis. With me is my co-host, Jack Serlis. Jack, we've just watched Saints beat Manchester City at home, at St Mary's, actual home win. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. That result hasn't really sunk in yet. I can't <laughs> lie. I'm still taking it all in. I don't really know what just happened. But um, yeah, beating 1-0. What's a result? We are recording this about 30 minutes after the final whistle um, and we'll come on to the game itself and talk through Che Adams' unbelievable goal from Che um, breaking his Saints duck. We'll talk about the heroic defensive performances from Bednarak, uh, Stevens, um, Walker Peters making the right back position his own, Alex McCarthy pulling off about 15 saves. Um, yeah, incredible performance from Saints. We'll come on to that. We will also be previewing Saints' next match, which is on Thursday evening um, at Goodison Park against Everton. We are speaking to Tony from the Altogether Now Everton podcast. He'll be giving us a bit of information on what's been going on um, on Merseyside. Uh, Everton have actually been going quite well. They play on Monday night against Spurs and then they've got a quick turnaround before playing us. So we'll find out how they've got on so far and and kind of speak to him a little bit about what to expect from Everton Saints on Thursday. And we can go into that game now full of confidence because, um, yeah, huge, huge win. Um, before we get onto the game, I just wanted to mention, please follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at OWT Saints Pod. Um, Jack, let's jump straight into it. First reaction to that performance, 1-0 win against Manchester City. Um, heroic, I think, is the word that a lot of people are using on Twitter to, to describe that performance. Yeah, I think that's fair. Everything determined, gritty. I think it was unbelievable to get that type of performance considering where we are on the table, relatively safe. No fans in the stadium. Obviously, we were watching it on TV and they've got the crowd noise and you're actually like getting getting quite pumped up watching the game and then you realise it's dead quiet there and you, you kind of forget that that's what the, the atmosphere is like in the stadium. But I just thought it was incredible and a testament to Ralph that he got the players so up for that game um, and yeah delighted for Shea Adams to get his first goal because he's deserved that he's deserved, and I, I loved the way the players all came around and celebrated with him it looked like everyone was delighted that he got off the mark um, been a long time coming it has it has been a very <laughs> very very BBC report saying 456 days um, since his last goal Played over 740 minutes of football for Saints um, without scoring. I think that was his 30th appearance and he finally um, broke the deadlock. But it's been a long time coming. I think it was mm. worth the wait. Unbelievable finish to lob Edison from all of 40 yards. Um, and good work from Armstrong too to with the press to win the ball off Zinchenko. Um, and then Che had a little look and then curled it in from 40 yards. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, Edison is so, so good with his feet, isn't he? I don't know if you saw in the first half when he pinged that ball just like on the floor, about yeah. 70 yards, and he went direct to one of their attacking midfielders. Unbelievable. But um, I actually, at that moment, I actually was like, oh, I, like, I made a noise because I thought he like, <laughs> I thought he chanked it and I thought Ings yeah. was like going to steal it and we're going to have a chance. And then it was like, oh, he's actually just picked <laughs> out whoever it was, it's, Silva. Um, it ridiculous. is ridiculous to have the, the goalkeeper have that in his locker. But um I mean, he's always so far out of his box. Like you said, amazing press from from Armstrong. We kind of set the trap, didn't we? It was nicking the ball off Sinchenko. And I did. I saw a tweet, I can't remember who from, saying that Arm, um, sorry, Adam's first goal for Saints was always going to be like a instinctive one. Yeah. It was always going to be, just because I, I can imagine his confidence is quite low. He played very well against Watford, but his confidence must be low after going that long without a goal. So just when the ball dropped to him, he just hit it straight away, didn't he? And it was one of those where he just didn't have time to think about it. He knew he had to take that moment there. Um, unbelievable. I yeah, ridiculous. ridiculous. It really was. I mean, he's been... He, you said against Watford, he was good and he came on, he had that chance. Um, I thought that was going to be it. He's had chances early on in the season when Ralph was giving him a bit of a run in the team and things just weren't going his way. He hit the post, I think it was against Sheffield United. Um, at the Liverpool game early on in August, he had a header. Mm. Um, 
lots of different opportunities at various points through the season and it just wasn't going in for him. So to get that now sets him up so well for the rest of the season. And I'll be the first to hold my hands up. At the start of the game, people were, were saying a great opportunity for Che and it was a massive opportunity for him today. I just felt against Man City, it was quite a tough opportunity for Ralph to kind of give him. Mm. Um, we, we played against Norwich and Watford and we, we've got some easier games to come against um, Sheffield United, Brighton, Bournemouth. Um, and those are the types of games that I, I would have been targeting uh, for Che to get off the mark, to throw him in against Man City. Like, against a team that we're not going to have much of the ball against. And, and it turned out we had 26% possession. Mm. Um, I think Ralph, after the game, speaking in his press conference, said that he needed his attackers to be kind of clear in their mind about what the game was going to mean for them. And that basically was a load of running. And Ings got through a ton of... Uh, ton of running and Adams did his part too and just to get the goal is just the cherry on the top um, I thought it was uh, going to be a, a difficult game for him so just to see that hit the back of the net was just unbelievable um, and hopefully that means now he can kick on uh, f- mm. through for the final final five games of the season um, yeah no definitely I think I agreed with you I think when I when I saw that team sheet come out I was delighted to see him on there because we've been calling for him to start more games over Shane Long just to give him more of a chance but like you said when you're playing Man City it's going to be one of those games where you're chasing shadows you're not going to have much of the ball and it could just serve to lower his confidence even further if he just plays 70 minutes doesn't yeah. touch the ball and then Shane Long comes on yeah that's um, why that's why I feared exactly that before the game I thought you know what it's going to be a really tough game for us and how many touches is Adam's going to get and then he's just like you said played another game and mm. it's just it's just now 30 games without scoring but yeah amazing yeah and I mean We've obviously got Danny Ings in the golden boot race and I can't lie, I don't, well, I don't remember the last time we've had a player scoring that amount of goals in the Premier League and actually in contention for winning that award. But mm-hmm. um, every time we get a half chance, I want it to fall to Danny Ings just because I am like, I'm watching Aubameyang's goals and I'm watching Vardy's goals and I do really want him to win it. He did a good interview with Gary Lineker when they were talking about the golden boot. Um, so if it's not Danny Ings scoring, you want it to be your other striker and to for it to fall to Shea is, is brilliant. So obviously Shane's got a few goals this year. Oberfemi's got a few goals this year. And he's the only one that hasn't got one. So brilliant. Mm. And what, what a way to get it, beating Man City. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, he had that chance really early on uh, that kind of, I thought, oh, that was going to be his opportunity. And it he came in like the, it, yeah. the opening five minutes. Mm. Um, and then it fell to Redmond and he wasn't quite ready for it. Um, and you're just like, oh, that's, he looked like a striker, just completely bereft of confidence. Um, and I think you've made a good point that it's an instinctive goal that he scored and he's, he's, he's just looked up, seen the keeper off his line, um, hasn't thought too much about it and just had a swing at it and it's gone in. Um, shades of Shane Long's goal against Aston Villa, that's what it reminded me of um, mm-hmm. when we beat them 6-1 in 2015. It's the game that Mane scored that hat-trick, um, that kind of two-minute hat-trick in. Um, but yeah, Shane Long, if, if you go back and watch that, Again, we, we're pressing. We win the ball up really high. He takes a couple more touches, but mm-hmm. I think it's Shea Given and he just bends it in from about 35 yards. Shea Given slightly off his line. Um, but I just thought that was, uh, yeah, a little similarity there to, to Shea's goal. Definitely. Well, do you think, do you think Shea will continue getting a few more starts then? Do you think Everton on, on Thursday play him again? I mean, it's going to be one of those ones where I think that my reflex is to say, yeah, it'd be great. Like, let's keep the... Um, it's keeping the momentum going but mm. it's Thursday night and he hasn't actually played that much football just because he's, on the, he's been on the bench so much um, and obviously we've had the break and striker is a position where we're actually quite strong um, I'd love to see the, the momentum continue mm. but I think Ralph might be tempted to rotate a little bit um, having said that that could mean a rest for Ings because Ings has played a lot of football since the restart um, and Ralph did take Che off with about 25 minutes to go so maybe he had one eye on Thursday Che playing again um, I'd like to see him because I think Everton away we will come on to, to that match but we don't have a great record at Goodison Park um, mm. but if he's got a bit of confidence I think we're very good away from home so I'm not going to that match um, with a ton of I don't think we're necessarily going to go there and win but I think we can go there and be very competitive mm. Yeah no I think I hope he does start on Thursday just because got the goal today. It'll be brilliant to see him 
yeah. try and get another one. But I think fitness, as you said, maybe is a little bit of a concern. He had that chance in the second half where I think Garcia sold the keeper a bit short and you thought he was going to get there and he yeah. just looked a little yeah. bit a little bit slow and you just thought at that point that he was uh, probably that, blowing a little bit. Yeah, he um, was a bit leggy, didn't he, at that point? He did look a bit leggy. On the other hand, Danny Ings' fitness is just unbelievable, <laughs> isn't it? It's, like You'd think someone coming back from all these injuries is, would be a little bit more conservative with how they sprint yeah. around the pitch and how they close people down, but it just seems that he's making up for lost time and just chasing down anyone on, on the ball. It's unbelievable in the it shape was, he's come yeah. back in. He is defending as well. I mean... He made some last-ditch challenges against uh, in the Norwich game. Crucial. Uh, he was great defensively as well at the Watford game. Obviously scored two goals. And then today, some of his clearances and blocks and definitely from, from corners, he's that first man for us. And the amount of headed clearances that he made, it was like having Didier Drogba at the front post. Just like every <laughs> time it came in, he just headed it away. And it was just like, yeah. wow, um, it's such an asset to have. Man City aren't aren't the best from set pieces anyway, so I was never particularly concerned there. But when the ball did break to around the box from from a corner or from a free kick, he was throwing his body on the line. And uh, another great performance, Uh, although Vardy scoring twice um, for Leicester does mean that he's kind of created a little bit of breathing room um, from Ings, unfortunately, in the golden boot race. But I think we've got some games that he'll be targeting coming up where he'll, he'll fancy himself to score quite a few more goals between now and the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, like you said, it's such an asset to have in in the box. Someone that gets their position so so well, and he's brilliant heading the ball. But I mean, that defensive performance as a whole was fantastic, wasn't it? That back five, McCarthy pulling out some unbelievable saves. I was, it got to a point where I was just thinking that they're not going to score. <laughs> like, no, it was just one of those games where I was just like, wow, maybe this is just, I don't know. They, like you said, they had twenty six shots and banging on the door but he was he was unbelievable and you said before in previous shows that he's a brilliant brilliant shot stopper isn't he but he does yeah. have that mistake in him and he did near the end come out for a cross and kind of flap at it a bit and I think it fell to Bernardo Silva who didn't take advantage but fair play to him when when the ball is when he's trying to save low down to his feet or stuff like that I don't think there are yeah. many better shot stoppers in the league yeah, I mean, the Newcastle game springs to mind. We lost that one 1-0. But in the first half, he kept us in it with uh, mm. some unbelievable saves. And again, against City, he made some some brilliant saves. Um, mm. It is just a case of his concentration and his like commanding the box. That chance at the end, he did come out, completely flappered it. But yeah. I have to say, his overall performance was was really, really good. There was, from kind of going 1-0 up, that, there was that kind of flurry of chances that, that they had. Um, and we'll come on to the defence, but Kyle Walker-Peters had an excellent game and has made the right-back position his own. We'll talk mm. about him, I think, in a little bit more detail in a sec. There was one clearance that he made where he shanked it um, from inside the box and it fell to Fernandinho, um, who hit the post. And then I think the ball was clipped in and then there was another save from McCarthy. He just made a save from Sterling. And there was like three chances in the space of about 10 seconds. Um, mm. Two big McCarthy saves. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of questions uh, asked, I think, by Saints fans ahead of next season about who our keeper should be. Um, there's been talk in the press about Angus Gunn potentially being sold this summer, Fraser Forster coming back and competing with McCarthy for the number one shirt. Where do you stand on that, on, on the trio of keepers that we've got based on McCarthy's performance today as well, taking that into account? Um, I mean, I'm not convinced that McCarthy or Gunn are going to be our number one going forward. Um, I think McCarthy seems to be have one great game and have one game where he's just makes loads of mistakes. It's, there's a lack of consistency, I think, with McCarthy where he can be brilliant like today or he can make an absolute howler. And obviously Gunn, we spent 10 million on him and he, he you know, he, I think he was quite unlucky because he was playing for Southampton at a time when defensively we were awful in general and we were playing three at the back and we were playing Danso and Cedric and Valerie at wing backs and I don't think we were settled at all so I think he might feel a little bit um, you know aggrieved that he's not playing in this settled back four and he might be a little bit more confident back there but you know I mean if, if we can't get Forster sold I don't think there's any point in us loaning him out again because I think that's just a bit of a waste and if if uh, Hasenutl thinks that he could bring something to the team, I'm all for giving him another shot. But um, I, I, for one, thought that 
Fraser Forster's days at Southampton were done. But um, yeah, I just think it's the state of our goalkeepers in general that he might be given another chance. Yeah, I th- I, th- I was also of the opinion that I thought Fraser was done. Um, we spoke to um, the Celtic podcast a few episodes ago and they were very clear that he's their number one target um, for the summer. Now they've signed El Yanusi uh, and there's been no word on Forster. I think it's down to an issue of wages. He's a, he's a very talented keeper again, similar to McCarthy and a great shot stopper, big presence um, in the goal, but concentration issues and he just looked like he completely lost his confidence by the end at Saints. Now Angus Gunn, £10 million. If we can find someone to take him, again, preferably we don't want to send him out on loan because that's a waste. Um, we need someone to buy him really and try and recoup a little bit of money, uh, especially if we're going to bring Fraser back. I agree with you on McCarthy. Um, great performances, but also can't forget the clangers that he's dropped against mm. Arsenal recently, um, mm. before the lockdown against uh, West Ham. Um, there's been examples throughout the season where he really uh, doesn't leave you feeling particularly confident with him in goal, but then he makes saves like he did today. Um, yeah. It helps from his point of view when you've got Jack Stevens and Jan Bednarak in front of him, uh, putting, Colossal. In the, putting in the performances of their lives. Uh, Unbelievable performances from them <laughs> two today. Ridiculous. I mean, they're up against Gabriel Jesus, Ra- Ra- Raheem Sterling and Riyad Mahrez with the two silvers behind. Um, <laughs> God knows how much money that is uh, in attacking talent. It's a lot. And attacking ability, it's a lot. And they were sensational. Um, blocking, tackling, intercepting. Every time the ball came into the box, it was one of them, one of the two that was winning it, winning mm. the ball. Um, Stevens at the front post, his positioning, uh, when crosses came in, I thought was really, really good as well. He was always attacking the ball. I think a criticism of him a little bit has been that he's good on the ball and is a good defender um, when the ball is in front of him, but he's not particularly uh, physical or when the ball gets thrown into the box, we've struggled um, against bigger teams and mm. Man City aren't a big team. But when the ball came into the box, it, it, it went straight out. Um, so, yeah, really, really impressed with with those two today. Yeah, yeah no, I think it, the, the team selection today kind of confirmed what most fans already had, but what they had in mind with Bednarak and Stevens are Hassan Hüttel's first choice because obviously Vestergaard had a brilliant game against Watford last week. People, well, some people were debating whether he should start today, but I think what Stevens has is, like you said, he's brilliant on the ball. He, he always does this one action, which I think is uh, works really well on that right-hand side where he gets the ball, opens his body up like he's going to play it to Carl Walker-Peters and the winger comes in to try and block it and he just kind of fakes and comes inside and carries it through yeah. and then he can play it to like an Armstrong or he can play it to the midfielder and I think that's obviously what Vestergaard doesn't do Stevens is much more comfortable on the ball and I think that's what he brings to Southampton the ability to give it to him and be confident that we're going to keep it and um, you know move that, forward with it that breaks the press isn't it when teams like Man City exactly, are pressing exactly. he's not going to panic um, yeah. and and he has the ability to do it basically whereas someone like Vestergaard it's a, it's a mistake waiting to happen Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It breaks the press because, you know, that's what City do. They put you under so much pressure and you need to have someone competent on the ball at the back. And I thought him and Bednarak, they looked like they enjoyed playing today. They looked like they really enjoyed work, like playing together and putting their body on the line. But um, yeah, I think those two performances, I think Jack Stevens got man in the match um, from Danny Murphy here on the BBC. And I think that was, it could have gone to five or six players, but deservedly so. He got it... Um, but like, like we said, the whole back five were brilliant. Carl Walker-Peters, I mean, he's playing really well for us. I think Spurs might be watching these performances thinking maybe maybe he could do this in a Spurs shirt. So I think we are talking about signing a player, but we also have to consider that they might be looking at him going, you know what, he might have a future at, at Tottenham. Yeah, I think uh, probably what's more likely... Uh, is Daniel Levy's looking at him and seeing his price go up. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, but because I can't, like Jose Mourinho, the, the Spurs aren't uh, massive fans, I don't think, of Serge Aurier at right back. Obviously, Mourinho let Carl Walker Peters join us. I don't think Mourinho is like, particularly a big fan of small fullbacks. Mm. Um, so I don't think Walker Peters 
has too much of an opportunity to go back to Spurs and play under Mourinho. Now, Mourinho may, may not be at the club um, over the summer if things continue to go downhill for Spurs. But from our point of view, yeah, I mean, this is exactly what we wanted to happen, isn't it, really? In, in the restart, we wanted Walker-Peters to get a chance and to prove what he can do. And then that leaves mm. Ralph with, with a decision to make this summer. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe the Spurs will be looking at Walker-Peters thinking they can use him in the deal for Hoiberg because yeah. you know there's been a lot of reports linking them to Hoiberg and they might look at him and say, let's give him to Saints and use him as part of the deal. But um, I just think, I mentioned it, I think, in last week's show. His, if you compare Walker-Peters to Valerie, Valerie stands off. If the ball comes to Sterling, Sterling can turn and Valerie's three, four metres away from him and you're like, in such, such trouble. Walker-Peters, in that first half especially, when Sterling got it, he was like giving away fouls, niggling, mm. stuff like that. And that's fine. You can give away a foul on the halfway line because there's no pressure there. You're not going to get booked. It's just going to be annoying for the winger. Um, I just think that's the difference between Walker-Peters and Valley. And I think we're so much more solid defensively because we just don't give them any space. Yeah, no, agreed. It was a great performance from him uh, in the first half especially. Um and yeah, I think he's if you can see, he's made the right back position, which was probably our biggest question mark um, coming back from the lockdown was who who was going to play right back. He's made that um, a moot point now. Like he he's our right back between yeah, now and the end of the him. season, um, and that means well, I don't think Valerie was in the squad uh, against City, but he will be on the bench um, if he does uh, return to the squad match day squad. Um, the only thing I wanted to say on Walker-Peters, which I think will be the case uh, probably as the season may be an opportunity against Sheffield United, but I'd like to see him. Um, we've struggled. Saints have struggled against some of the teams that are around us in the table that play a very direct style of football. Mm. Um, and against Watford, he was, he was, he was good. He was really good. Um, but I think we've struggled against teams like West Ham, Burnley, Newcastle, where they just bypass our press and just pump it long. And mm. Watford a little bit tried to target him by just playing the ball long up into his area because he is quite short. Um, and, I'd, and I'd like to see how he gets on in those types of games where it's not kind of coming up against Sterling is a massive, massive challenge. One of the best players in the world, definitely one of the best players in the league. But it kind of plays into Walker-Peters' strengths a little bit because he is very quick. Um, mm. If he was coming up against a physical striker, a physical forward, someone like Chris Wood or or whoever, um, mm. Sebastian Haller for poor Sam, he might struggle a little bit more, just just mm. the physical aspect of it. But that's nitpicking because he had a great performance today. Yeah, and I think maybe that's part of the reason why he didn't start initially because yeah. I think you said Mourinho is not a massive fan of short players. I, I think Hassan Hüttel places a large emphasis on physicality and in endurance and size in his team. I think there's a lot of big element of that in the way he picks his team. Um, so maybe he was a little bit apprehensive chucking him in at right back because I think he made his debut against Burnley and you mentioned Chris Wood. Chris Wood bullied him in that game. It was a really yeah. windy, rainy game down at St Mary's. And But I mean, that's, it's you know every player has got weaknesses and strengths and I think his strengths far outweigh the strengths of Valerie at at this point in time. So unless we replace Valerie and go for a different right back, um, yeah, he's got to continue to play. Um, wanted to mention the midfield as well. You did mention the name Hoiberg and I'd, who? Forgot, I'd forgotten who that was. <laughs> who is he? I mean, we haven't, we haven't missed a beat since he got injured. Uh, Watford and now City, Romeo and Will Prowse in there have played brilliantly. Um, Again, going back to one of our first episodes before football return, we were talking about how we thought Hoiberg would be really important um, to us starting well. And he, he, everybody played well against Norwich. He played pretty well, did kind of Hoiberg things. Arsenal was a disaster all around. Um, mm. And, and Romeo's come in uh, and played really, really well. And again today, Romeo and Ward-Prowse in the middle, up against the two Silvers and Fernandinho. That's a big, that's a big ask and they played very, very well. Yeah, I mean, Romeo, everyone knows what he brings to the team. He's a battler, isn't he? He puts his body on the line. And I think 
you know, he shares similar similar traits to Hoiberg, so he's kind of like the perfect replacement for this for this period where he's injured. And I think, like you said, he's played amazingly well against Watford and against City. I'm not blind to the fact that Hoiberg is is a very good player and he's still young and I think he will have a very good career. However, I think these two games have showed that we can we can he's not irreplaceable, I think. And you know, in previous years, players have gone and you're thinking, wow, we are really going to struggle. Hoiberg will be a miss, but Romeo coming in and filling his boots has been really positive. Yeah, definitely. And a word also on the, the uh, impressive start to life under James Ward-Prowse as captain. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been good, hasn't it? It's been unbelievable. I think he's, he's got different leadership qualities to, to Hoiberg, but I think he seems like a really, really likeable guy. Everyone could get behind him. Um, and I think he's upped his game massively since he's got the armband, and he seems like he's, you know, he's taking that responsibility and enjoying it. Some players might get the armband, and it might be a little bit too much for them, but it seems like he's really, really putting some brilliant performances. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he is the Southampton captain next season, depending on who we sign and stuff like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if he does continue to be I the think captain. It's got to be him now. Um, yeah, he's. I mean. It, Three wins from from four games since coming back. He's played brilliantly. Yeah. Free kick against Watford. Um, the players seem to have really responded to to his leadership. He, he I think he ticks all the boxes for Ralph. Um, so yeah, he's done a yeah. he's done a brilliant job. Yeah, I mean, and today against that City midfield, of watching Fernandinho, I don't know if you picked up on it, but he is. I can just imagine playing against him must be horrendous. Yeah. Like, He's so, so physical. And the amount of times he just like puts his body and just like body checks people and just be, must be really difficult to play against. And I think Ward Prowse is not the biggest in there and he's not like a dominating midfielder, but he really gets stuck in, doesn't he? So I think he's a, you know, he's, he's someone that when he plays gives 120% every single week. And I think you need that as a captain. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget this. I mean, they, they made six changes, but this Man City squad just beat the champions 4-0 mm. um, in their last game. And they come to St. Mary's where we have been absolutely dreadful and we've just beat them 1-0. I really can't, like, I can't wrap my head around this. We're recording this too too <laughs> soon after the game. Um, but where does this rank in terms of best home results? I mean, I'm thinking back to one of Ralph's, first, well, his, his first game in a dugout, 3-2, at home to Arsenal was a, was a big performance. Anything else stand out to you? Got to go back two or three years, I think, though, to, to find a game as big as, a win as big as that yeah. at St Mary's. Yeah, just before going on to that, I was speaking to you before the game today and you, you predicted a draw. So you obviously fancied us a little bit. I did. I predicted one all, yeah. Um, we do like a predictions game and I went one all. I don't know why. I just had a feeling that... Um, they were so up for it against Liverpool, they might be yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and mm. I saw the team sheet as well, and De Bruyne not starting gave me more confidence, definitely. I mean, you still look at the front three and see Sterling, Mares, Jesus, and you think, mm. wow, they could easily beat us 4-5-0. Um, but I just felt that we have been playing really well, played well against Watford. It was a free hit, and I think Ralph was really up for it. The players got really up for it. And, and yeah, I just... For some yeah. reason, just one of those ones where you're just like, you know what? They'll probably beat us, but I think if we play well, we'll definitely be very competitive. Yeah, well, just on the home wins, best home wins recent years. Obviously, we've had a one or two, well, not, not many this year, but the Spurs win 1-0, I think it was on January 1st this year, was decent. Mm-hmm. Um, beating Arsenal 3-2 last season in Ralph Hasenhutl's first official game was a, was a great win. The 4-0 against Arsenal, like you said, um, Boxing Day a few years back was a fantastic result. But I think this this City one today is right up there. The performance from from everyone. And like you said, the team that we're playing, they brought on De Bruyne and Foden in the last half an hour. And I'm thinking, yeah. it's not really fair, is it? Like They've been absolutely battering us and then they've got this lad to bring on. Yep. But um, yeah, all across the pitch, the, the performances was unbelievable so I think this is right up there with the best best it's just a shame that there was no fans there to celebrate I know it must have been the atmosphere in there would have been sensational but I mean it's 
the team, Man City squad is so ridiculously strong. Um, it was interesting that Ralph didn't make changes. Uh, well, he made one change, didn't he? He brought on long for Shay, and then he mm. didn't. He then he waited until stoppage time. Um, mm. Do you think that was just because the, the team were playing really well, and he did, and he didn't want to potentially um, interrupt that rhythm? I think so. Yeah, because if you look at the changes that he was likely to make, it probably would have been small bone. And although he has impressed massively, it's a very, very difficult ask to chuck on a player with that little experience into a, into a game where you're getting absolutely dominated. So I think he just thought, let's keep it like this for the time being and keep my experienced players out there. Mm-hmm. A bit too risky to chuck on someone like Smallburn at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, it's testament to the fitness levels that we can yep. sustain that level, of, that level of intensity. Yeah, it was the, 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 the pressing and the running that we, that we got through was incredible. Ings leading from the front. Armstrong as well. Uh, he didn't have his best game in terms of uh, going forward, but he had that chance. Obviously, that I, th- I think he should have done a little bit better I, I with think so, yeah. in the second half. Um, and he gave away the free kick right at the end, and he looked really, really tired. And it was kind of a lazy, um, lazy kick out, and and that gave De Bruyne the chance um, in the 96th minute or whatever it was. But he got through so much running, Armstrong. Um, and even if he doesn't have a great game, you know, at the very least, you're going to get. Um, a very, very good press. Definitely, from definitely. But um, what's the stat with um, Hassan Hootel versus Guardiola? How many? Is that his first so win against him? That's his first win in six attempts for Hassan Hootel. Um, it's a really, really good article actually in The Athletic um, by Karl Anker about the kind of story of Ralph, Ralph Hassan Hootel's uh, managerial journey so far and up to Saints. Um, and there's a good bit in it that said... Um, the first time that Pep met Hassan Hootel in the dugout, um, it was Bayern Munich uh, versus Ralph's uh, Ingolstadt team. And, and after the game, Bayern, Bayern won. But after the game, Pep said that that was the best team that Bayern had faced uh, all season up to that point. Um, and, and I think there's something about the way that we play that makes it difficult for Guardiola teams because we were really, really struggling uh, earlier this season and went to the Etihad. Uh, Wal Prowse put us 1-0 up and... We ended up losing the game 2-1, but we were surprisingly competitive for where we were um, in our development at that point in the season. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's the way we set up. I think that Guardiola seems to find difficult because they're all about possession and they're all about playing it out from the back. And that suits us so, so well because it's almost like, even though we were playing at home today, it's like we're playing away game. Yeah, because sometimes you know teams come to St Mary's and they set up and it's like break us down and we find that very very difficult. But when they're playing the ball along the back four and they're giving it to the keeper and we can set those traps that obviously we've been working on in training so much and we just know as soon as the ball goes into Zinchenko or it goes into Fernandinho to press in numbers, I think that's what um, Guardiola's teams find really difficult. So I think it's just like the, the perfect match for the Hasenhutl's team to really impose himself. Yeah. So the, the Opta stats have just just dropped on BBC and I was waiting for these while we were recording. Um, and this one's caught my eye. Southampton have won 11 points against uh, big six teams in the Premier League this season. Only Wolves, who have 12, have won more um, outside of the big six. So we've, we've done well against, um, against some of the top teams. Um, obviously, we beat Leicester, didn't we, uh, at King Power. Um, who else is up there in the... Beat Chelsea. Beat Spurs. Um, yeah. Um, Drew to Man so United. Drew yeah. to we've got, oh, we've got the trip to Old Trafford coming up. Mm. They're playing some of their best football um, with Bruno Fernandes and Pogba back in the team. Um, so that's going to be a big, cha- big challenge. <clears throat> the other thing I wanted to mention um, was Che's goal was the longest range goal of the season so far. 39 yards out. Was it? Um, Goal of the season contender, I think. Oh, I think just give it to him now. Give it, give it to him. Just give it to him now. Give him, he deserves give him it. Goal of the season. Yeah, it was his 22nd shot in the Premier League. Um, so yeah, 22nd time lucky uh, for him and from 39 yards out. So uh, yeah, I can't believe the record recording this podcast and Che Adams is the match winner against Man City at St. Mary's. I thought this day would I never mean, come. <laughs> it is ridiculous. <laughs> at right. St. Mary's as well. That's it, Mary's. Yeah. Um, right. What else do we have to discuss? Um, oh, yeah. So that leaves us now 43 points with five games to go. 
what should we be looking for? I think in after the Watford game, we chatted this time last week and we kind of said 50 would be like an ambitious target, but realistically like 46, 47. Mm. We definitely didn't have us getting three points against Man City. Um, so now 50 definitely looks within reach, doesn't it? I think 13, 13th in the table at the moment on 43 points, level with Newcastle, one behind Everton, two behind Spurs who play on Monday night, mm. um, three behind Burnley, and then eighth potentially could give us Europe um, if we manage to get that high. And that's Sheffield United at the moment who have 48. So that's a five point gap with five games to go. Um, it'd be tough. But, I mean, what are you looking for in the final five games? Well, I think we can, we can aim high now. I don't think... Well, we came back on 34 points. And I definitely, like you said, didn't envisage us getting nine points from those, from those games. And I think, like you said, we, we ruled out the City game as just a, one that they were going to come and beat us um, convincingly. But 43 points, five games to go, I well, think... Well, actually, I had one all, actually, but yeah, okay, two points. <laughs> no, but when we were doing the predictions a few weeks ago, yes, I think we did... True, off. true. Yes, we did. But yeah. um, I think five games to go, I think we, we can set that target on 50. Why not? We've got some winnable games in there. We go to Everton on Thursday, full of confidence. Obviously, they're playing very well, so it would be difficult. But, you know, I think the way the football that we're playing at the moment, and I think we can play with a little bit of freedom. We don't have that, that pressure of us going down anymore so we can we can go for teams and I think that's you know I think that's what's exciting about Southampton at the moment I was getting a few texts during that game from fans of other clubs that enjoyed watching the game that might have been mm. you know a different team maybe it was City playing against the Palace or City playing against the Watford or you know maybe they're further down the table so they've got a little bit more to play for but even teams I think they played Newcastle in the FA Cup a few weeks ago and they just set up very very defensive but Watching that as a neutral, fans look at Southampton and go, wow, they actually give these teams a game and try yeah. and play against them. And I think it's just, that's what football's all about. And I think that's why Hassan Hill was such a popular guy because he's made, made us, you know, play a, play a style of, of football that's exciting, puts teams on the back foot. And um, yeah, it's just great to watch. So I'm aiming for 50. If we get 50 points, what a season. Yeah, I mean, what, what an unbelievable job. Uh, Ralph has done I think it's interesting that as you mentioned like we don't have anything to play for now and really neither team today oh yeah neither team had anything to play for um, but you can kind of respond to that in one or two ways and the team that are now one place below us in the table Palace um, are in a similar position to us in the sense that they've had nothing to play for really in their last couple of games because they did they did enough to um, to get to 40 um, but they've been dreadful since the restart mm. um, lost their last three um, and we've we've basically taken the opposite approach, and it's and it's great to see um, winning three of our four games, and and yeah, I mean two tough games to come, but we are good away from home, so I think we should go into those full of confidence after today's result. And then we end the season with three games, three very winnable games. Brighton looked like they might have done enough by then, by the time we play them, to have to, to be safe. But Bournemouth will certainly be in the mix by the time we come to play them um, towards the end of the season. And also the other game is against Sheffield United, which could be huge because if we do manage to get ourselves with a little bit closer to them um, between now and the time we play them, that could be a massive game. A huge three points in, in terms of potentially finishing in the top 10. Um, but what an achievement that would be, having, having sat on uh, whatever we were on, 10 points from 13 games or eight yeah. points from 13 games, whatever it was earlier this year. Yeah, I don't want this season to end now. <laughs> I want it to carry on. I know, roll on Thursday. So on that, let's um, let's chat to Tony, uh, who is um, a podcaster for the All Together Now podcast. Um, he will provide a little bit of information on on how Everton have been doing. Um, they've played three games so far, beating Leicester, Norwich, and drawing against their Merseyside rivals, Liverpool. Um, they play Spurs on Monday night um, and then they've got a quick turnaround to face us. So I'm sure that will be a factor having 24 hours less time to prepare. Um, but let's welcome Tony in to the podcast um, and let him introduce himself and what his podcast is all about. 
Hello, my name is Tony from the All Together Now podcast. Um, we've been running this podcast for two and a half years, if I remember rightly. Starters with um, the Sam Allardyce here on benefits, <laughs> and it sends us up with the Carlo Ancelotti here as we speak. So yeah, it's been um, a bit of a roller coaster in terms of finance and on and off the field. Um, so we thought we'd start this podcast, and we we do record it generally um, from where Everton Stadium will be. Um, it's only a stone to throw away from where the stadium's going to be on, on the banks of the Royal Blue Mersey. And um, yes, yeah, so myself and and Greg, we run the podcast. Um, Greg works for the Athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a Everton reporter for that, um, and we generally met at the Liverpool Echo. That's where we first met him there. So we just thought we'd do our own podcast, and it's, it's blossomed ever since. We reach out to four, five thousand, six thousand Everton fans each episode. So yeah, it's all good fun. Um, everyone getting on board was getting there on, on YouTube, etc. And a lot mm-hmm. of Evertonians won won our views on there. So yeah, it's it's getting bigger, popular, um, and obviously with the new stadium on the horizon, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's only going to. Um, hopefully go from strength to strength. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Um, Saints play play you guys on next Thursday on July 9th. Um, so yeah, we just wanted to get you on to chat about a little bit about how Everton have been doing uh, so far. You've played three games, you play Spurs on Monday night, but so far so good, I think. Draw against Liverpool, beating Norwich uh, and beating Leicester the other night. Um, so yeah, from your from your side of things, it must be pretty positive uh, as an Everton fan from coming back from the restart. It is. Um, I think we're very lucky to have a manager of Carlo Ancelotti's ilk in the dugout. I think um, a lot of fans and and even, and even players are a bit a little bit in order and starstruck that we've got a man of of this success that he's got on the CV um, at Everton. Um, he took Everton from. Obviously, we were on the brink. I think we remember playing you guys. I think it was one of Marco Silva's um, last games, I think, back in November, I think, early part of November. And we got a victory that day. And I think that just sort of like tied Marco Silva over from a week-to-week contract, so to speak. <laughs> That's what he was under. And, and since then, obviously, Duncan Ferguson took charge for a number of games after Marco Silva was sacked. But since Carlo Ancelotti's came in on Boxing Day, Everton have just gone from strength to strength up the league. Um, I think they are one of the most formed teams in the Premier League since Carlo Ancelotti took charge. I think only Liverpool have picked up more points since uh, Boxing Day. So I think Everton are really, really, as I said, the benefit from Carlo Ancelotti's um, at the helm. Um, I think they're only going to go from centre to centre. As I said, they've got to get the recruitment spot on because um, it has that's one area that has lacked over the previous um, regime under Farhad Mashiri. He is the owner at the moment and he has spent a lot of money and he wants some return and this he just mm. can't keep on spending money like it's going out of fashion. Um, <laughs> but no, we, they, they, they need really need to get the recruitment spot on this summer and if they do that they've got the best manager they've got uh, the most loyalist supporters you'd ever wish to see in your life I know mm. a lot of clubs can say that they haven't got success in them and rightly so but we share a city with probably arguably the most successful football club in the world at the moment in Liverpool mm. so Everton haven't won a trophy in 25 years Liverpool have won every trophy there is to win mm. um, since that time so which is so goes to show what Everton fans are literally thriving for in terms of success. It is hard living in the city at the moment and what Liverpool are doing, but we've got our foundations there in terms of the stadium and the, there's, a, there's a spine of the team that is there at the moment. You've got like Mason Holgate at the back, you've got really, you've got Andre Gomez in the middle, you've got Calvert-Lewin and Rich Charlton up front. The spine is there, but they've got to get the ingredients as well and hopefully mm. that'll, that'll happen in the summer. Mm. Yeah, I was just going to ask actually about... Um, Ancelotti, like what has he changed and what kind of style of play has he brought to Everton? Just from an outsider's perspective, it looks as though you're much more solid defensively and tough to break down. And I think he's reintroduced the likes of Keane and Coleman into that back four. But um, what else has he changed and how, how do Everton set up and how is it different to Marco Silva? This round sounds really like an old football and cliche, but he, he has got Everton back to basics. They do play a four-four-two generally, mm. um, but Carlo Ancelotti, it, I can't I can't describe it as such. But we've had the likes of you'll know yourself, but Ronald Koeman, Roberto Martinez, even David Moyes, just rigid formations that they're just not going to change. Mm. Um, David Moyes was obviously a four. Four, 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 five, one man. Um, some allardyces don't even need to go there in terms of what he was throwing <laughs> up. But um, Roberto Martinez, he was the same four, three, three, and it just got found out. And when you have a manager that that can't adapt, Marco Silva, very much likewise. 
what Carlo Ancelotti does in the dugout, he change, he changes so much Everton style of play during during the game. His mid-match tactics actually won us the game against Leicester. If you'd noticed, the Everton started off four four two. Leicester started bombarding us mm. down there down their flanks with their full-backs. and all of a sudden Everton went three at the back and went five in midfield, and that just stopped Leicester. From, I know it sounds really easy and basic, but when you've got a manager that's willing to adapt as the game's flowing. That's what's going to win your games, and that's what Carlo Ancelotti does. So that's why Everton have picked up as many points as possible since um, since Boxing Day, and even since the restart. That win against Norwich last week, the win against Leicester recently, and the draw against Liverpool, and it's just having that man management in the dugout. You you, you guys guys know yourself what your man in charge. Having that someone that can change the game as it's happening, it's it's, it's only it's only great to watch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I did notice that during the Leicester game. I think he brought on Yerry Mina, didn't he, and went as you said three at the back at a point in the game where Leicester were dominating that second half. So, yeah, I think on Sky they were commentating about that ability to impact the game was was crucial. So, you just knew a Leicester, game, a Leicester goal was coming. Everyone yeah. knew it. it was, Leicester were banging on the door. And then everyone knows Leicester's strength. Down the full-backs, get right up the pitch. Chilwell and James Houston were down the flanks. And all of a sudden, Everton just went three at the back. Yerry Mina, Mason Holgate, mm. and uh, Michael Keane. And all of a sudden, Seamus Coleman and Luca Dean were allowed to be perform into him in field. And that just stopped Leicester's full-backs from going forward. Mm. Now, just to have that assurance on, on the bench... To bark them instructions out, and what it what it did help Everton. And I'm not a fan of it. Is the drinks break? It, it did help Everton at that time. Yeri Mina came on, and Ancelotti mm-hmm. could sort of get his instructions across. And all of a sudden, Everton just took three points. When I'll guarantee, and every Evertonian said it, Everton would have lost that match under Ronald Koeman or Martinez or whoever you want, Marco Silva. They would have lost that match against Leicester. But now Carlo Ancelotti's in charge. He's, he's won us them seven points since the restart. Who do you feel like um, is playing particularly well then since the restart? I mean, before beforehand, you've obviously got Richarlison um, as the main man and, and Calvert-Lewin up front. I don't think he's scored um, since we've come back. But who is playing well for you guys? Uh, and who should we be watching out for um, when we go to Goodison Park? Players you need to look out for, obviously Everton's main threat is up front. They have got two live wires up front and they, they just don't you know yourself that you've got Danny Ings. But we've got two in Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. They are very young, they're full of energy, fast. They just don't give defenders a minute. And when you've got that up front, you can, you can build your team around them straight away. One player that has come through the academy, you'll have noticed, and he has started the last two games, is um, Anthony Gordon, last three games rather. He started in the Merseyside derby, eyebrows are raised, but he has gone from strength to strength in, the, in that team. He's, he's one of them players that, if you looked at him, if you walked past him in the street, you're thinking, no, he's never a footballer, not a mm. Premier League footballer. But he's got something about him. You'll, it's very difficult to describe. got a low sense of gravity. He's, he's, he's quick on the ball. His movement's very good and he just settles in at Premier League level so straight away. And there's players that you generally see in the Premier League that you go, mm, and the jury's still out on him. You just know straight mm-hmm. away by looking at Anthony Gordon, he's going to settle at Premier League level. So he's a player to look out for. But if you were probably to ask me players that have looked well since the restart, questions were questions were asked amongst Everton's full-backs last season. Seamus Coleman and Luca Dean. Luca Dean was... He was Everton's best player of the year last season, but this season he's been really, really poor. And Seamus Coleman, obviously, he's coming to the twilight of his career. And Everton fans were questioning how these were going to perform. Um, but since the restart, they've knuckled down. Looks like they've had a good lockdown, haven't been eating stupid things and obviously got their head down and mm. been in the gym. And them two players have come back really well. So if you're looking for players that have come back since the restart, Luca Dean and Seamus Coleman, but players to look out for um, in terms of a worrying side for, for Southampton is Richarlison, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and look out for that young, um, young scouter in Anthony Gordon. He's one to look out for. Yeah, I mean, just on Anthony Gordon, I was watching the Leicester game and he looked like a, he didn't look 19 years old. He looked much, looked like mid-20s season professional Premier League footballer. He was winning fouls. He was, he just seemed really confident on the ball and he obviously got that great assist for Richarlison. So, yeah, I mean, he definitely is one to, one to look out for, for that game. On Calvert-Lewin, um, obviously he's got a lot of plaudits this season, 13 goals. There was a lot of conversation about him going to the Euros, alongside Ings, potentially, Tammy Abraham. Do you see Calvert-Lewin as Everton's number nine for years to come? Um, and how is, he, how is he playing for Everton? 
I do. I'm a very big fan of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. and I've been. He's been. A lot of Everton fans have been on his back for for, for eighteen months, and he, he sort of this season the penny has dropped with him in terms of building his physique. He's gone from a small, skinny school kid, so to speak, to a big unit as a centre forward. And there's not many centre forwards in the Premier League have got what he's got. He's strong, he's powerful, and he's fast, and he knows mm. where the goal is. Normally, you'll, you'll see centre forwards in the Premier League that they're normally small or the slow or the lethal in front of goal. He ticks a lot of boxes. If you're looking for the best strikers in the Premier League, and I'm not saying Dominic Calvert-Lewin's the best striker, but what he does, he ticks a lot of boxes, what you're looking for. He can win as he's strong, he's fast, he's powerful. He, he roughs defenders up. He, he's skillful. He, he's on, and his energy levels are fantastic. He lasts 19 minutes all day long. So, in terms of what he's done this season, the penny has finally dropped with him. He just, he's just grown into be a man. And I really like the look of him. I think he will be Everton's number nine in years to come. I, I'm a really, really big fan. I think it's only a matter of time before he just get in the England team. I really raise him. Mm. We were listening to your um, podcast after the Leicester game, kind of post-match reaction. Um, and kind of went, went back and had a look and it sounds like that you've, you've had quite a settled team in terms of obviously Pickford in goal and, and defensively and up front you've got Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin um, and I think, I can't remember if it was yourself or Greg that mentioned um, midfield as being potentially an area where uh, there's a few players that I guess questions have been asked about um, and I was just wondering, is that potentially an area of weakness for you guys um, and if so, um, are there players in particular that, that you think you need to see more of from an Everson side of things? I think it's a key area that Southampton can capitalise on, most definitely. I think a central midfield area, if, I don't know if you wore Prouches, the world, if they can get on the ball and dictate what, what's going on, I really fancy Southampton to get something if they can dominate that midfield. Andre Gomez is a fantastic footballer, but I think what he he needs legs around him he really does he's, he's a very creative footballer that looks great on the eye when things are going well he's probably one of these players that needs five or six games to get going but mm-hmm. what he just needs is legs around him Everson were very successful last se- well, towards the back end of last season when it just had gone a guy was next to Andre Gomez they sold mm-hmm. gone a guy to PSG it was a massive loss Everson signed Jean-Pierre Gabamin he hasn't kicked a ball. He's been, he signs him for 30 million, hasn't kicked a ball. He's been injured. Fabian Delph has been injured. So another gaping hole has been left in Everton's midfield. Tom Davis has come in. Jordy's still out on him whether he's going to become an Everton player in years to come. I think he's a fringe player. He's not good enough at this level in terms of my opinion. So that is an area that um, Southampton can capitalise on. The flanks, it chops and changes. You've got Bernard, you've got Walcott, you've got a Wobie. Don't, doesn't seem to be flavour of the month, any of the three of them at the moment. Anthony Gordon's come in and made that left-hand position himself. So, yeah, I think it's a key area that Everton will need to look on in the summer in terms of recruitment. It's, a, it's one that literally needs addressing sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. We, we mentioned the, the good form that you guys have shown um, since the restart. What's the, what's the goal for you um, between now and the end of the season? You've got Spurs next and then, and then Saints on Thursday. Um, pushing for Europa, I guess? Yes, most definitely. Um, pretty much like yourselves. If you if you go on a one or two, three win within game streak, you start looking up instead of behind you. And, and confidence is, uh, I know it is another old cliche, but confidence is, uh, it is a thing in football. And I think if you win two or three games like Everton have done, then you start looking above you. And I think Europa League, there's not much between Everton, Tottenham, Sheffield United, Wolves. I think Wolves are a little bit astray from us, but like yourself and Newcastle, Southampton. There's all teams in there. Where, do you know what? Yeah. There's seven or eight games left here. If we win four of them games, we'll be in the Europa League. And you don't know what's going to happen with Manchester City in terms of their appeal. It could visibly go down to eighth position. We know it's going to go to seventh. It could go to eighth. So eighth, mm-hmm. eighth position can guarantee Europa League football this season. I think that's what Evertonians crave. They want the European Knights a good Park, there's not going to be many of them left in terms of moving to the new stadium in, in two years' time. So, yeah, they want the European Knights, they want the chips abroad, and they've got the right managers to go and win stuff. And um, mm-hmm. Carlo Ancelotti is famous for winning European trophies, so I wouldn't be surprised if Everton do get into them Europa spots. It'll be down to one man, and that man's in as a ghost. Looking ahead to the game next Thursday, I was, um, I was doing some predictions with my brother Patrick before a couple of weeks ago, and I was we were talking about the game at Goodison Park and this is one that we kind of wrote off. Um, every time we seem to go to Goodison, we seem to lose. And I was having a look at the uh, um, previous fixtures between the two clubs. We beat you in 2018 on penalties in the League Cup, but before that, we haven't beaten you since 1997 at Goodison. 
how do you see the game going next Thursday? Yeah, you're right, 97 there. Um, I think it is one of them teams, Southampton, that way when we do play at home, we, you, you know yourself, you, there must be a team that you guys play and you go, as soon as you sit, you just sit in your seat, you go, and yeah. just know we're going to take three points. And it doesn't matter <laughs> if they could have an influx of money, they could have the richest man in the world in charge of them. Just know, ours is generally West Ham and Southampton at home. We just sit there and go, right, I know, three points are coming, we can go for a pint and great stuff after it. <laughs> and that's what you generally do. You just have a, a, a feeling that you're going to take points and that has the feeling against Southampton yeah I think Southampton have been doing really well and they have surprised me they really really have I thought they'd struggle um, this season but they have they are playing some great stuff and I think it's not going to be an easy game and what I like about Southampton they will come to Goodison and they'll have a good go um, and I don't blame them to be honest Everton hasn't got that aura of once they won sides when, when they had the David Moyes at the Ilk, where you just knew you're in for a tough game since Moyes has left Everton have just gone chopping chains and they haven't sorted their identity out Roberto Martinez came in and Marco Silva Sam Allardyce Ronald Koeman and they haven't sorted their identity out at Goodison Park but having said all that they are quite strong there and obviously mm. you've just spoken about the record there mm. um, I think Everton will win this one I really do I'm, I know you're not going to want to listen to that but <laughs> I, really do. I think Everton it's just because we generally do beat Southampton and if you had the richest man in charge and you could have could have Lionel Messi playing for you I still think that would I still think that would it's just because it's Everton at home and against Southampton but you should be looking to get one over on you I'm sure that results um, at St Mary's this season you wouldn't have been pleased about because I thought that was nip and tough that could have went either way um, mm. that game I know we did win it but it, it, it literally you could have flicked a coin that day and uh, Everton were under really under the cosh that game and I thought you were very lucky to get three points so I'm sure your guys will be ringing in the ears looking for, for a bit of revenge on that hmm. yeah I mean that, that game at St Mary's it was kind of I think you've mentioned that was kind of the, the, the end of Marco Silva's reign and that was probably the depths of of our season as far as Hassan Hootle we just lost to Leicester 9-0 and then we played better against you guys but it was still pretty poor um, and then we turned it around from December onwards but that was definitely the kind of depths of our uh, Nadir which, which wasn't good and for you guys as well you kind of I guess you kicked on like you said from December the thing with the thing with playing at Goodison for me it always reminds me of when we had Hughes and we came to to Goodison um, Redmond score we went 1-0 up and I'm not sure if you guys had anything to play for it was right at the end of the season and we were desperately trying to survive and I think it was Tom Davies yeah it was Tom Davies 19, yeah. in the 94th minute massive deflection <laughs> um, and absolute devastation because at that point we thought we were going down um, fortunately we didn't but it just sums up our our, uh, our fortune at Goodison which uh, hasn't been particularly good in recent years um, but the last thing I wanted to ask you about actually was just on on Morgan Schneiderlin because um, for those uh fans of both clubs really that we've seen. Everton obviously um, have let him go now and he's gone to Nice. Um, he was uh, a bit of a fan favourite at Saints. Um, very, very good player for us. Didn't work out at United and didn't really seem to work out with you guys either. What's the story from the Everton perspective on Schneiderlin? Well, he may have been a fan favourite at Southampton, but he certainly wasn't at Everton. He wasn't, <laughs> he, he wasn't well loved at all, to be honest. Listen, he, he'd come for a big fee, of yep. course, from Manchester United and he was on big, big salary. And he's, he's one of them players that, if you if you look at Everton's midfields, he's probably, on paper, one of Everton's best midfielders. But we've just never seen it. We didn't see that desire, that... that you just know him players' belly if they won a game and, and if they won it inside. But he just never had that kind of attitude. And I think at a time when Everton, yeah, he does have a lot of ch- chop and change in terms of managers, but he just never had that hunger in his belly. And that's what you want for a centre midfielder. You want someone to go out there. And we've seen, we've seen very small glimpses of him in terms of the fee that we pay for him and, and, and the wages that we were paying him. But we never seen it often enough. We really didn't. And his, his contract was coming to an end. And he did get, I think it was a. a I think it was a nominal fee for what they got for him, but they were just happy to get him off the wage bill. Um, mm. Yeah, I could count on one hand how many times he, he did, literally did play well for Everton. It was just a long, drawn-out career that was sooner rather than ended. And I think Everton fans were happy to see him out the door. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, it didn't work out at United either. Um, so surprising, I guess, for Southampton fans, just because he was so good for us. Um, his partnership with Wanyama in midfield, um, under Pochettino and, and Coman was, was really, really good. But it seems like once he left us, it didn't really work at Old Trafford and hasn't really been able to kickstart his career. So um, we'll see um, how he gets on in France now. But thank you very much for joining us, Tony. It was um, really enjoyed it and best of luck on Thursday. 
<laughs> well, well, you're welcome, guys, anytime. <laughs> but I'd say best of luck on Thursday, best of luck for the rest of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Cheers. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Anytime, guys. Fantastic there to speak to Tony from the All Together Now podcast. Jack, final thoughts then on that Man City performance. Still quite, can't quite get my head around it. Um, shades of Leeds away from a championship promotion season. 1-0 at Ellen Road. Yeah, I mean, I think you said at the start, heroic is the word that I would put to describe that performance. And I'm going to be watching the highlights till the early hours of the morning. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just one of those one of those games where just makes you proud to be a Saints fan. We march on for the rest of the season. Absolutely. Now, um, yeah, final thing I wanted to say is please, again, follow us on our social channels. Um, some good content on there, I think. Uh, Jack, that's fair to say. Um, so, yeah, at, at OWT Saints Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, yeah, all Saints chat, basically. So, until next week when we'll be chatting uh, about the Everton game. Um, we'll speak then, Jack. Yep. Sounds good. Speak to you next week. Speak to them. Bye.